to the Waiver Fire podcast. Very special bonus edition. We have a nice interview with Tianchi Gao Smith. I don't know if it's going to be nice yet, but I'll try my best. Thanks for coming on the pod. Really appreciate it. Celebrating our anniversary today. <laughs> Thought that we could learn a little bit more about you. Project it to the world. And we have some some fun, uh, just general topics here. First one that we usually try to throw out is favorite pizza. Usually throw out. Well, JP and I did an interview a while back, and I think one of the first questions was his favorite pizza. So it's kind of a, it's a regular, it's a routine question. Okay. Really speaks to the person's soul and character, you know. So this can be, uh, you know. Just general type of pizza. It could be your favorite particular store. It could even be your favorite particular pizza from a specific moment in your life. Yeah, that's that's really a good question. You know, I have a couple. It's it's kind of hard to pick one out, but I think um, steady and strong is the pepperoni and cheese pizza from Domino's. I haven't tried many pepperoni and uh, cheese pizza, but. The one from Domino's that actually carry a special memory back in college, you know, I did two years of college in China and then transitioned to um, same major, but a different college in Los Angeles. And the first and only dorm that I stayed at had this nice tradition of Sunday uh, movie and pizza in the evening where the residential advisor would bring in Domino's pizza. And I think growing up in China, like it's like a special once in a very long while treat to go to like a pizza hut. That's like the only pizza store that we have in town ever. Mm. And it's not established until I was in high school. So like my memory with pizza was like pretty distant and, you know, just maybe I had it for five times total when I was in China. Do you recall if the Chinese pizza hut at that time had any sort of Chinese flair to it? in terms of the food i don't think so i don't okay. think there's chinese flair to mm. it i just remember like i think i really like it i remember the first one i had was in beijing and the town that i lived in nanjing didn't even have a pizza hut yet gotcha. and it's like a special kind of hey introducing you to a new food kind of thing i think my cousin and my uncle uh, ordered like a meatball pizza okay with uh, not like a red sauce base, but like a cheesy base with some mushroom. You know what I'm talking okay. about? I was, I ate it, but it was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I had pizza for the first time. That type, type of feeling. And then when I got to the US, my roommates were getting pretty excited about having pizza delivered to our dorm every Sunday. I was like, okay, well, I've had it before. I'll eat some. And it's pizza and Coke, pizza and soda. Coca-Cola heavy. Yes. Yes. Um, maybe occasionally we would have some like leftover juice that people donate, like juice, grape juice and stuff. I never got really into the juice, but oh my gosh, the Coca-Cola and pepperoni and cheese was really, really um that's a sweet doing it for me. It was doing it for this me. This is like 10 to 15 kids. I think there might be like 30 kids in total. Wow, that's a lot of pizza. Yeah. So they like brought in boxes and boxes. They, yeah, they brought it in. It's not far from us. I want to say it's like a quarter mile to us. Mm. So they bike it in, you know, like two sides, wow. two stacks on each side. I feel like that's how it is. And they put it in this uh, warmer kind of container and like they unzip it when, when they get to your door. And I remember... It, it's fond memory of me, but I, I remember um, getting off work from the library. I used to work at the library and they close at eight on Sunday nights. Usually we close at 10 and I stay the, the evening shift um, and I close out the library. But Sunday is a special day and they usually close at eight. And the eight is when the pizza movie and soda happens. So I would ride my bicycle as fast as I can because I would be very, very hungry from the day. Probably skip dinner that day and just wait for the pizza and ready to tackle a long night of homework and 
just reading and stuff, catching up on school, getting ready for for Monday. So it's like, I don't know, it's like a like a perfect combination of stress and pleasure. Mm. So, and I remember, you know, winters in Los Angeles would be in the fifties, and you know, going at school, there's the library is usually pretty warm, and I'd be in my shorts and a cardigan. Riding on my bike, I'd be frigid and trying to, you know, just kick as fast as I can. Get back to my dorm and this aroma. Ooh, <laughs> it's strong. Yeah, yeah. And um, I get in. Usually the movie has already started and everything is dark. In the room, there's a pool table and some couches and a big TV. And everybody would have been already eating, um, you know, gotten their slices, eating and they have a buffet table next to the TV. So I always had to sneak in and ask everybody on the couch to get through on the you know side. I a lot of the times I would slip through the box and see a box of pepperoni and cheese. I would just take that box Ooh. and I would sit on the pool table and just eat, start eating over there. Sit on the pool table? Yeah. I in the middle in the or like the, the bunkers, the bumps? Like on the green felt? Partially, partially. Okay. Yeah, I was just sit on there because I don't I don't know. I don't feel like snuggling up with people on the couch. Uh, although some people didn't mind. Ice with the Coca-Cola? No, just straight out of the plastic bottle. Room temp. Um no, it's usually it was chilled. From Domino's is all good to go. Hot pizza, cold Coca-Cola. And I knew I didn't want to snuggle up with them or commit myself to finish the movie because sure. I have lots of work to do. And the library is literally next door. So lots of temptation, you know, a dark room full of people watching movie with glass doors on the other side is the is is the library. So I would eat one slice and get, you know, somewhat content um, and bring the pizza box over to the other mm. side and start pulling all my books and start doing homework. And I think one time I was so hungry that I, well, I didn't eat the crust. I was bad about that. Never ate the crust. No, I, I, was, I would say never, but that time I was just like, I am not dealing with that right now. Ooh. I went through nine pieces of pizza, Jeez. nine pieces. All I, pepperoni. I don't think so. Oh, I mixed think. it up a little yeah, bit. Mix it up. I think there was a, the Hawaiian. Okay, that's a good mix up. Yeah, and there was like, like olive and green pepper. Oh. Yeah, I was never like a big fan of only cheese. I just think that it's yeah kind of plain. I never had that alone. But yeah, mostly pepperoni and cheese and lots of and a few others. But I had nine pieces. God damn. I was very shocked at myself. You remember the movie? not at all I you remember any of the movies Shawshank's Redemption Shawshank Redemption yeah. first time you saw it there definitely you watched the whole thing or no no definitely not <sighs> I never watched the full movie never watched a full movie no I never watched I remember I watched this movie in class in the art class that's one of the general election you have to take certain credits so I picked one arts and letters class that showed like Iranian revolution cartoon that's called Persepolis. And I felt that it was such a great movie. I introduced it to my cohort and they actually watched it for one weekend. Oh, nice. Um, that one, I don't even think I watched the whole thing. I was always busy with something like work or school. Mm. Yeah. Solid pizza story. Appreciate that. Well, I actually oh. I have a very short tale to this. Oh, get it uh, in. Not about, not about that dorm or school or anything, but I went with my college best friend to New York um, on spring break in 2009. It was pretty chilly in New York and this friend is really into traveling. So we, uh, I just basically followed her around, you know, she was a urban planning major, super into geography and maps and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, show me around even if it's her first time, like she did so much homework and had so much anticipation about the New York city that she just knew how to navigate around. So I was, I felt pretty lucky and almost also a little bit confused, you know, like with the culture shock and just 
I don't know. It's just like a change, a rapid change of scenes uh, for me, really, from China to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to New York. So I was almost kind of culture shocked, a little confused and impressed with her abilities. And she was like, okay, for lunch today, we're going to try the New York pizza that I saw. I think at the time she brought up the Zaga rating a lot. And she said, this Zaga rated really high and we should try it. And we went in and what was the restaurant name? I don't remember the restaurant. I'm sorry. No problem. I, if I do some digging, I can probably find it. But um, I went in there, you know, with my experience with Honor's House Pizza, I just, I feel like that's that's what pizza is supposed to be. I didn't really think sure. that there would be any much variation to that. Right. And um, she kind of amped it up and said that the New York pizza is special and it's different than fast food pizza. And I was like, okay, well, pizza is a pizza, whatever. So when the waitress came around, I kind of asked her, you know, what's your favorite pizza to start a conversation? And she said, you know what? Like, I really like the margarita pizza. Okay. I had no idea what it is. I don't feel like margarita is really New York style. I know, right? But that's okay. Well, they have different styles. Now that I yeah. think about it, they have the New York thin crust or whatever. Yeah. And then they have, I feel like it's Italian influence. Mm. So they must have gotten some variety. So you know what? Like, I just had my favorite as the um, plain margarita. So I said, okay, well, sure. I'll try that. And I looked at the price. It's pretty reasonable. So I picked one. 15 bucks. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah I can't tell you. Um, so when it came up, honestly, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. It looked very plain. A little skimpy. Yeah, I know. But, um, but yeah, I invited my friend. I, I don't remember what she ordered. Mm. Uh, but we traded a few pieces, you know. Maybe at the time I even liked her yeah. just a little bit better Jealous. just because um, it's something different than I have. But I always see it as a fond memory of, you know, being just brave in general and being able to be there and try the new stuff. That is fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. This one might be a little bit more challenging. I don't know if you'll have one queued up for this. I honestly, okay, so this is confession. Nick has sent me the list of questions maybe a month ago. And he's like, you know, just look it over and tell me when you're ready. I don't remember. Don't remember if I went through the whole list very seriously. I only remember one question, which was the pizza question. I'm not insulted. I was, second one, a favorite or fond childhood memory i know that throws it back you can you can go through the list but uh you know a special time or or it doesn't have to be a favorite it could be a a unique situation that you think back on sometimes and you're like what what was happening there maybe you misconstrued what was happening as a kid but when you think back on it you kind of realize what was happening or Maybe your first childhood memory that kind of uh, sticks with you. Something in that ballpark. I know there's a lot. There's a lot to pick. I feel like one of my favorites, it it was routine. It's not a, it wasn't a specific day, but my, uh, my kid, like neighborhood kids, we would play in our, our backyards were essentially connected and we would do run and tag and, and just kind of festive moments in the afternoon after school, almost all the time. That's kind of what I uh, cherish a little bit. Or we could skip to another one if you want to. Next one. This one might be a little, I feel like there's less of these. Maybe a favorite sports moment. I know sports isn't necessarily uh, a long time <laughs> top uh, entertainment for you, but what do you think thinking about favorite sports moment in person or on TV? I think that sports isn't what, what was the word that you, I, I don't think it's a top top entertainment for you. Like if you were to pick between that or a movie or show or, or even maybe some music, I think sports would probably be, on the, on the lower end of the list, I think. Uh, I agree with that. Let me think about it. Sure. I think maybe 
you know, growing up, I always swam. Mm. So I remember the swimming pool was, was pretty special to me. Competition wise or, or no competition, just training practice. To some competitions, but I think in general, maybe training is more routine to me. Like I would go, I think some of my favorite swimming experiences happening in the evening time. I was just talking to my parents the other day, how like, you know, we live in Rochester, Minnesota now, and there's not like a good steady pool that I can enjoy in the evening time. Right. Yeah. So I felt like a lot of my good times spent in the pool was in the evening after school is done. And, you know, I, um, next to my elementary school, there was like a big sports complex. So it was very easy for me to walk over there and enjoy their pool. I remember like my mother was kind of when I was maybe in fourth or fifth grade and she was like one day she she was just like oh we're gonna go I know you know how to swim but we're gonna try this new sports complex with a big pool and see how you like it and they have evening hours that maybe will fit into your good you know school routine pretty well by this time you, you feel like you're a very competent swimmer don't think so oh okay. I don't think so you know growing up by dad has always been my trainer but he's not like a you know he doesn't have good postures and he can definitely stay afloat right and swim but you know how he grew up swimming is that he his house um that he grew up in was next to maybe a few waters like a, i know definitely for sure a few ponds really? um yeah i didn't know that yeah, I'm positive. I'm almost positive that there's like a branch, either a branch of a river or a river next to where he lives that they do their daily stuff there. Like they get water from there. They wash their, you know, utensils from there, bowls from there. They wash their clothes in there. So it's just like, you know, pretty common for them to dip in the water. Like even to get food, there's these little shellfish that they would collect and certain things that they would catch fish and stuff from the river and they keep fish in the pond so i think how he learned is just naturally you know playing with kids in the in the summer and they all learn they all know how to swim but he's never had like good training about this is the breaststroke you know this is the backstroke right. just kind of swim use your arms use your legs somehow yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, he certainly can make it work. Yeah. So that's how he taught me. And mm. like, he brought me to his, you know, he used to teach in the university. So he brought me to their school pool and was like, okay, supper time. Let's learn how to swim. When I was maybe three or four years old, I certainly have peed in the pool. Oh, so yes. That bad. That's okay. It's one of those things everybody does, but don't, don't admit. Yeah. We've all peed in the pool. I've certainly had the moments where I was like, I need to pee. I wonder yeah. if other people can tell if I peed in the pool. Mm. Well, this could be my favorite childhood memory to answer your question. Damn, peeing in the pool. No, just like exploring a bit. Right. You know, like my Test the boundary. Nowadays, I, we have kids and we would tell them, hey, like, if you need to go, tell us and we'll take you out of the pool. You know, like it, you kind of prime them. I don't know if they still do or not. Right. But this, this is when I get in the pool and I need to go. And my dad didn't say anything to me. He's just like, okay, this is the swimming pool. Let's go swimming. Yeah. And I'm going to swim a few laps. Why don't you stay in the shallow? And Oh, interesting technique there. Okay. Can dig well, that. I mean, honestly, the pool is so crowded and oh. like lots of colleagues and friends and my friends that are colleagues my dad's colleagues kids are there like I'm watched I'm being watched by many pairs of eyes like he's not concerned he just needs to wanted to maybe take some time to have a nice swim or something he's sure. not around and and I felt like I needed to go so I was like well I wasn't told and I wonder if my pee would change color like change the water's color around yeah me. Like, I wonder other people will feel if I, why don't you try that? Yep. I'll pee a little. 
and uh i don't think anybody cared or even noticed pretty clear yeah i don't think i peed fully and i didn't feel good about myself so i went i went out and i probably found oh really you tested the waters saw nobody was doing it but you're like yeah still pretty ashamed gonna go out of this ashamed i just i just knew that my head was gonna go down the water oh yeah some self-care maybe that's a great call i'm must have been only like a few years old yeah i don't remember but yeah okay where was i why why, why? Oh, okay well i was talking about the, the evening swimming time that was a special time for me yeah and i you know coming from that like i was able to float you know i can do a little bit of swimming um and go a little bit difference not difference but distance but i wouldn't say i was proficient in it um so my mom certainly had no idea how to swim mm. she does not have, know how to swim she mm. did not grow up near waters and um certainly did not have a swimming pool in her town growing up so we just kind of went um uh, there's we knew that there's a shallow end there's a deep end so uh, we just hung out in the shallow end and she was kind of looking it's a crowded pool like in china the ball pools are crowded so we're just kind of looking what are the other kids doing and some of them were floating like having their hands hung on the side and kick their feet so my mom was like oh maybe that's a good way to start that is a good way and she's like why don't you do that a little bit so i did that a little bit it was pretty boring charlotte loves that i've noticed whenever i peek over into the swimming pool if the coach isn't doing specific hands-on charlotte will have her hands on and she'll be kicking ferociously that's so great of her. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I I don't know. It didn't feel much to me. Yeah. I, I feel pretty self-conscious, you know, like I don't know anybody in the pool. It's not the, you know, like work pool anymore for my dads. And I don't know any kids in there. It's, I just feel like very self-conscious about myself. I was about maybe 10, nine years old. And then this guy just came over like older gentleman just came over to me and was like do you all not know how to swim uh, and my mom was like you know what actually I don't know anything about swimming I just thought it would be good for her because you know she's quickly developing and is going into her teenage I want to make sure that she grows into like a kind of like a balanced and all person um and I heard swimming can do that for kids. So we're just here, here to try it out. And he's like, you know what? Like, I'm I'm here just to exercise, but I used to be a swim coach. So why don't I teach you a thing or two? Um, so he was really good and patient. So he taught me um, the very basics. Um, he held my belly and helped me float and kick. Basically taught me how to do breaststroke. Nice. Really well. Really breaststroke, well. Breaststroke, I think, is a solid start. Yeah, really well. And I felt like it was so special and unexpected. I was pretty shocked and surprised, pleasantly surprised that he came in and just approached us. He basically said, you know what? This is my hour. Like, I usually hang out in the pool around this hour. If you just, you know, want to come after school, like, I can teach you for a while whenever I'm here. He actually did that. We did go uh, school days every day for a while until I don't remember. I don't even remember his name. You know, I can vaguely remember what he looked like. I'd never see him again. I would never see him again after a while. And then I was basically just on my own. Um, there was one time I think I was pretty good at like swimming in the shallow part. And I was like, you know what? I see some kids that are older than me that can swim all the way to the other side, which is deep. And I said, I wanted to know if I can do that. And I actually was able to do it that time. Nice. I don't know. I don't remember the distance. It's pretty long. I would say pretty long. And after that, I started experimenting. You know, I swam, of course, on the lane that's close to the side so whenever I needed a break I can hang on to the side to break but I don't think I did the first time I was prepared um apparently I was ready to swim all the way swam back and felt really really good I think that was my moment 
How about, let's get back to the food a little bit. This one's kind of an antonym. Worst food experience. It could be the food itself. Tastes like ass, spoiled, whatever. Or just the, the situation doesn't lend itself to a happy time. What do you think is a, a really rough food memory? I can tell you right now. Ooh, there's a, num there's a 101, a clear 101. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think about this experience every once in a, in a long while. And every time. Some trauma. Oh. <laughs> every time I was just like, ew. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. I remember maybe I was pregnant with our first child. Mm. Now that I think about it, I don't even remember. I don't remember clearly. Anyway. In we, Auburn. Yeah, we were certainly living in Auburn. Mm -hmm. I was a student. At the time, and then when Nick was saying that, hey, why don't we go to this re Korean restaurant that we liked oh, over in Opelika? Yeah, I said, okay, well, that's not my favorite, but I guess mm. I can, I can, I can try another time. You had been there a few times. Yeah, we've been there a few times. Mm. I think, yeah, it's no, not my favorite. Did but, you have a standard dish that you would get? Yes, yes. There are a few safe, quote unquote, safe Korean dishes that I would, I would do if I don't know this restaurant or I know that I don't want to try the other things and I'm in a Korean restaurant right now. I would order these things. The bibimbap. Oh, the bibimbap is one good thing. Yeah, mm. I was gonna say the sundofu soup. Sundofu. Uh, that was one thing. I don't know if that, that place has sundofu. Every every Korean. Oh, okay. Um, the the kimchi pancake is is a safe choice for mm -hmm. me. Um, like if I am, if it's a, like a colder day, if it's a hot day, I wouldn't choose it. If it's a colder day, I would probably choose the the uh That's the I think that the fermented. What what is that thing called? I think is it kind of a light brownish miso. soup? No, it's not miso. It's like this fermented bean yeah. sauce soup brown. Yeah, it's light brown. brown. Yeah, I recognize the light brown. It also has tofu. Ah, uh, is it okay? Well, it so. certainly has like zucchini squash and like certain vegetables in there. You can also order like different meat versions, like seafood version. And sometimes I would have the the seafood added, or like you can have. Pretty positive you can have beef in there too. Mm -hmm. I rarely have that, but or you can just have the vegetable. I certainly have days that I was just like, I'm just feeling like a vegetable soup with rice. But that day, I ordered something safe and I said, Okay, this is what I'm gonna eat. I don't even remember. I don't remember what it is. Yeah. I, I'm surely I have ordered something that's like edible. I know it's edible. Yeah. And then Nick looking at the menu, I was like, you know. I'm gonna go with the all Korean menu. They have like Korean Chinese, Korean English translation menu, and they have like an all Korean. I think it was menu. mixed together. I think there was just a couple items on the menu that just did not have a translation. Oh, really? which just blew my mind. Like, yeah, because some of them I remember they were translated, but they were still like you didn't really know what they were. And then there were a couple where they didn't even have a translation, and I was like, what is that? Why? Why are they hiding these things from us? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember now that you say it, I do remember there are a few options there. Yeah. Like some of those, you know, I get a little bit curious, mm. but I, I quickly give up because it's just, the communication is impossible. <laughs> when the waitress comes over, you know, when you ask her, oh, what is this? Yeah. It's honestly slower, like less efficient than if I... You know, I know a little bit of Korean. Like, I can probably make it out on, like, Google. If I Googled it, it would be faster. Mm. But it takes too much effort. So I basically just quickly give up. Yeah, I think I remember we did ask her. And I think she was able to, you know, struggle her, her way to describing what I got. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that they can tell you what it yeah. is. Yeah, I think we knew before we ordered, like, okay, yeah, we're yeah. going to get this. Yes. It yes. wasn't just a, no, it wasn't, oh, let's we, risk it. It wasn't we're going to get this. It was you were going to get this. I'm gonna tolerate it having it on the on the table even. But you you go sometimes you have those moves where it's like I want to try something a little a little off. Sure. Yeah, sure. it's one of those days. Oh my gosh! And then like I think 
Nick asked the waitress and she came over and was sheepishly telling us it's a worm. I think she told, I think she started off with, you don't want that. I think there was some no, indication. No, she, she said the exact words, this is not for you. Something like that. Yeah. Like, no, no. Did she say, <laughs> but then she quickly, maybe she quickly pivoted and said that this is, if you do want this, this is good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then she, yeah, she was like, but it's it's healthy. It's good for, no, she didn't say it's healthy. She said it makes you strong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. And That's she, right. And she even did like a gesture. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you strong. It makes you strong, which yeah. is, you know, we're always looking for that. That's and, what you want. And, you know, like growing up, it's a silkworm. A silkworm. Yes. And growing up in China, you know like in america i'm sure people like keep pets and stuff but the parts that i'm from it's famous from back in the time like producing silk so we are abundant we have abundant supplies of of course silkworm and it's because we have this um, special kind of mulberry leaves that feeds the silkworm that the silkworm is very abundant over there yeah the japanese i you know i'm pretty ignorant but i, I think the japanese would buy silk from China and then yeah, yeah. into the kimonos. Yeah, because yeah, they, yeah. There was a whole like, you know, there's the a production. did not have silkworms because it was a very guarded product, I think. It is. It also, you know, for example, northern China, I don't think it's Good suitable. Right. It's suitable for the leaves, which is the only food that they would eat right right to spit out good silk mm. um so it won't grow there. Mm. So that may be part of the reason. But anyway, historically around and in my hometown is where the silkworms historically grow so as like a project or maybe it's not even a school project just like after school you will see these little street vendors hovering around the um, you know outside of the elementary school and say oh here are the silkworms and you know give me a dime or so and I'll give you this many silkworms and for you to go home and keep and then you can raise them and then they'll they'll actually give you silk of course when i was little i was very into little animals and stuff so i said of course i would get some silkworm and i think my dad even one year got me some and i keep having raising them for a few years when i was a little kid um and that's my impression of the silkworm right it's not a food no it's definitely not it's like a <laughs> like a project and like it's an animal that you raise, like a pet. You know what I mean? The silkworms. Okay, I have to talk about them a little bit because they're so interesting still to me these days. You know, some of them, I think I bought them in different stages. I I bought eggs before, and they're like tiny little eggs that are probably three times smaller than a piece of sesame. You know, and they're just like hovered on a piece of leaf, and they sell it to you for really, really cheap. And they don't all survive, but when they hatch, they're these like black little worms that swarm around and walk around the leaves and started gobbling. And I feel like you can't feed them feed whole leaves at that stage. You have to chop them up so it's easy for them to digest. That's adorable. And I feel like that's, I've certainly done it where... I chopped up the leaf and I realized that some of the silkworm is on the leaf. Oh, <laughs> I feel so bad oh. but it has certainly happened to me before oh. um yeah. I know I've bought them into like um, in the form of small worms you know they have gotten white from the black they grow up and they blow up pretty quickly I see into these small white worms I've certainly bought them from that form before and then you raise them and in weeks they grow they bulge up into this white kind of sections of white maybe like 20 sections of them and like a long piece of worm that become fatter and fatter and more translucent every day until they become really big and white and they started this is the time where you need to like back then you know I would make an origami of like a little box for them and put them in this origami paper box so they would find a corner to start webbing and start weaving their cocoon on top it's just really fun to watch and after that I think 
overnight, you know, usually I don't have that much patience to watch them do the whole thing, but overnight the cocoon would become solid, just like a silk cocoon, and you don't see the you don't see the worm anymore. And I'll be like, oh man, I missed it again now that they're all you know hidden. And then you just have to wait. And it sits there, you know, the silk cocoons are really cool. I've had light blue ones, I've had yellow. I've had the pure white. It was a delight. And then one day after many days, you almost forget about it. The silkworms would come out as moths. Mm. They cut the cocoon and they come out and they started like flopping around and started laying eggs in the, um, in the origami box that I made them from paper and they would die. Um, so that's, you know, at one point I'll be like, what's in the cocoon? Let me open it and see. And I think that's the silkworm that you ate the other day. Mm, version. Yes. And I was, my memory was immediately drawn back to the many years of yeah. cycles of my projects that I would do very, very passionately. And I was like, how can you eat this? And it's just literally worm and like worm. It's like a pre-moth version of, it's not a worm anymore. It's like a bug. Yes. It's like the bug. It's it's kind of got a, a small roach. Definitely. Aesthetic. Definitely. And then this like, it's it's bug and bug and bug it all piled in this muddy. It's like a hundred of them. Yes. In and they're probably about a dime or a nickel size. Pot of soup. And the soup. Oh my God. And it's not like one of those soups where, you know, there's a whole bunch of nuance and, you know, different layers. layers. It's literally just, just water. Worm. It's just water. water. <laughs> and, and bugs. It's broth, really. Oh it's not God. like there's seasoning. It's like you're getting the full enhanced flavor. I saw Nick taking the bugs into his mouth i was extremely nervous honestly and i smelled it and it didn't smell good it smelled very very buggy and earthy earthy sour he ate it he ate probably 20 of them. the first bite was was bad i knew from that i knew from the first bite that it, we were in trouble <sighs> and i looked at the bowl and i was like i can finish this it's it's one bowl you know let's go and just bite after bite, it was just, it was, it's just, it didn't get worse, but it, it didn't get any better. Yeah. And, and then by about halfway through, he stopped. I called it quits. He, and, you know, after eating my normal food. Yeah. You didn't try a bite, did you? I did. You did try a bite. I did. And mm. Nicholas didn't push it too hard, but he was like, you know, it's here already. Like, why don't you just try one of them? Try one. Oh, just try one worm. Yeah, oh. Try one of them. Yeah. And the moment it got on my spoon, oh. I was like, am I really going to do this? Oh, shit. Put it in my mouth and started chewing it. Oh. The texture, I was like, quickly spat it out. Did you see you spat it out? That's what Definitely. I thought. Definitely. Yeah, spat it out. Definitely. That's brutal. Yeah. That was, that was a top, that was, it was one of the worst. I agree with you. That's a great memory. Really good call there. <laughs> How about, it's been a little while since I wrote these questions, but when I did write the questions, you were pretty in tune to a pretty interesting Japanese food show. And I thought maybe you could give our audience a little plug, an advertisement, a summary of that show and your experience with it. Yeah, as Nick said, it's been a while. Maybe at the time I was watching this Japanese food show called The Solitary Gourmet. That features this um, male actor that's probably pretty famous in Japan. He's and this show lasted for ten seasons, I think, from two thousand seven ish to two thousand seventeen. I don't know if it's still they're still making episodes, but I certainly followed it for the first couple of seasons. Each season, I want to say it's about six or seven episodes, maybe even more, eight or so. Um, it's basically this guy that he's like a traveling uh, business person. He doesn't travel very far. He just goes to cities around Tokyo or neighborhoods um, that are adjacent. And he finds these 
uh, good eats in the neighborhood that's maybe representative to the culture and the people and the scenery that he sees around and he I think his sensations get elevated through his eating experience uh, I think the version that I watched was an unabridged version and with additions. So the addition is that after each episode, he usually walks away with uh, a full belly and a new kind of understanding and perspectives about life. Uh, and there's this nice little tune to send him off and close out the show. But then the addition is that the director actually came out, would come out and go back into the diner or restaurant that the main character has just eaten and have his own meal over there and he would comment on sometimes how he found the restaurant his personal relationship with the restaurant and the food why he picked the food that he picked that day and do a little commenting so I, I did like it and how I found it was that I was watching this other Japanese food show the Midnight Diner uh, there was a few episodes and I really enjoyed that. That one I know is on Netflix. Yeah, that one is, but this solitary gourmet is not. You have to find kind of a back alley. I did. Yeah. And I was able to find one with Chinese subtitle translations. Um, Can you give the audience a little taste of some of the noises he makes when he's eating? That's my favorite part, actually. This this guy, this actor, really has a good style, and he actually featured in um, the the Midnight Diner too. He played like a gangster with a soft heart, really inside. And then in the Solitary Gourmet, he's the guy that ate. Um, so the sounds that he would make is oh, I see. <laughs> he always says something like this or. That means yummy or you know different variations of japanese that he would say about that and then he would do a few motions that his signature motions and i think there was this one episode that's very memorable to me is that he was eating this specific style of grilled meat like you have your personal grill and then you grill your meat right there and then you eat it right there and then um and then there's this background music that they made specifically for this scene his, wow yeah his name is goro so this this song goes goro, 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 goro. <laughs> just hard rock yeah they they just kind of chanted his name while he was eating it going hard at them yeah he finished it well, he must have finished he always finishes the food but that's a dope song yeah i want uh, one for myself should, yeah we should find the song how about favorite mythical entity? Well, you know my favorite mythical entity. We've talked about off pod. Give the give the audience a little flavor. Okay. Well, I'm now introducing my daughter to my favorite mythical entity, who is a snake that became um, after 1700 years of exercising, not like. I don't know how to translate that, but just like Buddhist practicing, practice, practicing magic, magic, prayer. Yeah. Yeah. By Sujin. Yep. And, and he, she transforms into a human shape and was able to marry an ordinary man on the earth. Benefactor and saved her life many years ago. She wanted to pay him back for saving it. Yeah. So she's like, I'll give him some kids and, yeah. and a hot wife okay what she just gave one kid oh yeah that's right um but yeah that was that's the gist of this this uh the snake and i I think i think the reason why this story has uh has been pretty popular for many years maybe one factor is that um it it talks about it doesn't matter what you are or who you are um, as long as you do good to, to people around you and society um you you'll be loved yeah, even if you're labeled as technically a demon. Yeah. If you if you do it things right, if you have good heart, good morals. Yeah. yeah you know, so. you can kind of overcome that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think people will slowly, you know, at first it's inevitable that you'll get judged, but I think people will recognize who truly who you are and will appreciate you for that. And she saved many lives with her husband as a doctor. And 
any last steps there. Also, it's a it's a good love story. My five year old is really into it. Do you think the Baisujin legend was always like a very popular story, or do you think that the show really took kind of an obscure story and made it extremely popular? You know, it's always been a really famous story. Oh, okay. Um, I would say if it weren't because the show, mm. we'd probably see it in a very different light. Oh, what what characteristics do you think would have changed or were changed? Um, it just became more vivid. You know, back mm. then, it's like in a story that they would talk about it, and you would read about it. And then, or they put it into opera. Mm-hmm. Like you go to an opera show or like a play, you would see it. Mm-hmm. You can understand the story, appreciate it from that perspective. But those mm-hmm. are kind of from my generation's perspective. Those are traditional art forms that you appreciate it as if it's kind of like um you you appreciate the heritage of your culture. That type type of perspective. Yeah. It's not necessarily flashy or fun. Right. But then, you know, they made it into this, at the time, very trendy show with attractive actors, mm. story plots, and music. It became very, very entertaining for little kids like me. And you idolize the actors. Ooh. You really just get immersed into the story much, much better than as if it was in book read to you or like in a traditional play where school would take you and be like, hey, appreciate the traditional arts. And I have to imagine the show runs for like 50 plus hours or so. I have to imagine that quite a bit of it was just generated for the show, right? Like it couldn't have been all part of the original legend. You know, some of the battles and some of the kind of manipulations of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, Right? Yeah, okay. Of course. Back you know, I don't even know how it's originally documented. Mm. I think it might be just something of a very short article and essay. Right. It talks about tablet, like, maybe. I don't. I don't even know what mm. kind of format. Maybe like an article or an essay format. Yeah. And they, maybe they use the imagination to mm. talk about everyday stuff. Try to blend it in. Mm. How about an either or here? If you had to, mm. skydiving. Or solo submarine dive. Would you rather face the the drop in the air or would you rather go deep in the ocean? Okay. Well, instinctually, I would want to tell you that I want to do the skydive, but after just a little bit of thinking. And I guess we can assume that, you know, either one you take, you'll, you'll make it out. No, you'll survive. Yeah, you'll survive. Okay. Skydive. Mm. I'm, I've parasailing before. I don't, I'm pretty sure the skydiving is more intense than that. That's fair. The The solo submarine is just too intense, too dark. There are many styles that I would, like controls that I would have, oh, I see. have to make. What if it was just like press a button, you go down, press a button, you go up? Same amount of time. Yeah. Same amount of time. Well, right. Like, this is the analytical part of me of thinking that, is it well lit? You know, is it going to be... You could have lights. Might be fun. Like, if I have... I know I'm going to be safe. Mm. And it's lit. I want to see what's in the sea you would want to yeah, i want to see i get too i get too scared the giant squids and stuff but you're things. safe right you're safe but still i would i would poop my pants there's no doubt about it yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> claustrophobic you get you get scared a little claustrophobic yeah give me the skydiving for sure yeah i think skydiving yeah you get some speed going you get the height yeah but the view I probably don't even have the heart or time to look at the view, but you have abundance of air. You have so much air that you can breathe. Um, and then plus, you know, you're, you're safe, so probably skydiving. Mm. Last one. Or we could circle back. Well, we did the childhood memory. Yeah. Last one, similar. First 
childhood movie star crush? I know that I know you had a little crush on the Nyanza husband. The husband's act actor is actually a woman. Right. <laughs> Okay. But how about movie star? Think about it. Hmm. My mom used to watch a lot of foreign movies with me. I have many crushes. Ooh. One of the first ones that I remember, and certainly mm. not the first one I've seen, was the Sound of Music, The Captain. Okay. Um, Nick is looking it up. Like, what is this guy? I remember him, but that that's a tough one because I was going to ask, you know, um, you know, who was the first actor where you you're kind of like excited for his next movie to come out? Because, but that of course you could not. That I mean, I didn't have that concept then, and a lot of the movies that when it gets to China, it's pretty like aged. So right, you would, and you know, it shows on TV. So those are the things that you would accidentally catch on TV. Mm. It's hard to understand like who they are, even the backgrounds of the. I mean, you could be fifteen or so. I I think I was probably, I was probably fourteen, fifteen by the time I had my first like actual movie star crush. Okay. When I get to 14 or 15, I didn't watch that many movies. I see. The movie yeah. theater wasn't a, a constant, a frequent thing. Definitely not. I was mm. very, very busy when I was 14 or 15 years old. I gotcha. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate the interview there. Welcome. I'm, I'm glad that we did it. You had a good time? Yeah, good time. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, I to talk about a good topic. We'll find something. Okay. Sounds All right. Good. Talk to you next time. Bye.